Assalamu alaikum everybody, this is Jareem Noor, I am your host for today's podcast. Today's podcast is going to be a very special one because we're going to be talking about um, female Muslim chaplains uh, in the UK. We're going to be discussing the stigmas and the taboos and the obstacles associated with such a high um, risk, shall I call it, um, career. And with me is a very learned and uh, noble lady, uh, Rukaya Vankar, who's going to be discussing with us furthermore in detail exactly what the role involves, because she herself is a female Muslim chaplain at one of the hospitals in the northeast London boroughs. Um, hello, Assalamu alaikum, Rukaya. Wa alaikum assalam, good to be here. So I um, am Rukaya, and within the BATS NHS Trust, we do work across sites. But I am based full time at Whips Cross Hospital in East London. That's amazing. And how long have you been doing that? Oh, just over a year now, full time yeah. within this post. Okay. Um, t t talk to me a little bit about chaplaincy because I tried to do a little bit of research on it. Um, and from what I understood, uh, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm going to literally go with the uh, definition that I found online. A chaplain is a cleric, it could be a minister, a priest, a rabbi, or an imam, or just a layperson of a religious tradition. Um, and you're basically based in places like hospitals or military departments or universities or sports clubs uh, or private chaplains is that correct that's correct so um, before I started if you'd have asked me what does a chaplain do it would have been I don't know just walk around make some dua support <laughs> and that's it and then um, yeah. the reality is completely different and we're taking on mm. a lot more than we realize and for myself um, I am an alima uh, Wow. So it does make a big difference because sometimes we're looking at rulings with regards to does Islam allow the life support machine or can a family take something off and you're dealing with a lot of things and that's where the rulings mm. come in handy. It gives confidence so, to a family as well. Yeah, of course. I mean, you're there to kind of reassure them that they're doing things the right way, correct? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of education, I know you said you're alima, but are all female Muslim chaplains alimas? They're not. Currently, they're not. So within other faiths, you have to be a priest or a Roman Catholic, you have to be a priest. Within Muslim mm. chaplains, currently, you don't. But you do have to be a community leader or be supporting something. Um, and that's what makes a difference. I think, especially as a female, because that's what mm. gives the family the confidence. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's something that is obviously a choice if you want to educate yourself in um is there like a chaplain course or chaplain school? There is, there's the many. Course? There's a couple um recently um in a few institutes and there's mm -hmm. one where that you even go through a whole chaplaincy course and then you have to do a placement at the end. Um yeah. the one I did uh, we had I think it was 12 weeks or something and every single week you had a different chaplain speaking from a different perspective on what to learn so mm. I would highly recommend anything like that because otherwise okay. you are literally just walking in blind and not knowing what you're going to do yeah yeah okay and when is it a person decides that they want to be I don't know a chaplain like when was it that it came to you that okay you know this is something I want to pursue as um a career mm -hmm. so Personally, it was off the back of COVID. Um, I was one of the leads for COVID gussels within Waltham Forest, East London, Newham, okay. in a lot of boroughs. Mm -hmm. And I realised that, especially during times where no family members were allowed, I was the only port of contact. So I was already offering pastoral care, spiritual care, 
providing comfort to the families. And for me, it felt like a natural progression that I've done my alimiya. I've been supporting mm -hmm. families in this manner as it is. And this seems to be the next step to take. Yeah. And it sounds like a very, um, obviously COVID was a horrible time for everyone, um, especially for, and I cannot imagine that it must have been a very daunting time for those that were working in the front line, especially uh, as the communicator between the family um, and the NHS or the carers of the person who's sick. How did you find that? How did you deal with that? To be really honest, and I do say this to a lot of my colleagues as well, that I think Things have just moved so fast. I don't think we've actually had a chance to sit down, stop and process. There was mm. a need. We stepped up. Yeah. I don't think, you know, a lot of people speak about it like, how did you do it or how was it? But in that moment, we weren't actually analyzing or thinking. We were just thinking, yeah. I'm an Alima. I have this training. Yeah. I've been doing COVID gusels. I've been doing gusels. I know what to do. And there were days that we were doing three in a day, four in a day, um, you know, from one mm. borough to another, training up people and... Um, it was a need that had to be done. You were the port of contact for the family and you were just speaking to them. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of people say that, um, like a lot of people don't believe how severe it was or the gravity of COVID and the number of deaths and bodies that people like yourself had to see. But now in hindsight, if you were to kind of tell us the differences between a regular day as a Muslim female Muslim chaplain uh, and in comparison to COVID like is there do you have words or you know how would you describe that you know even just going onto a ward it's very different now when I go onto a respiratory ward obviously yeah. I sanitize my hands I wear gloves I wear an apron and I go on I have a face mask on and I'll go on mm -hmm. and I'll speak to a family we don't realize the importance of you know facial expressions eyes crinkling being able to see someone as a human being now during covid i would be wearing full ppe when i'm going on to see a patient they're already scared every single yeah. member of staff there is wearing a blue overall their heads are covered we had um net hats on top of our hijab we have full ppe on we have an apron on top of that we have a face mask on and then on top of that you have a plastic fissure a vision that you can't see that your hands are covered your feet are covered it's quite scary for a person to be surrounded by everybody in this uniform whether you're a doctor whether you're a nurse whether you're a chaplain anything you're just being surrounded by these people who are you know even coming near you they're stepping slightly back we're keeping the distance yeah. all these things you don't think how it must impact a patient who's in bed, they're in an alien environment, they're scared, they're not able to see their loved one because COVID yeah. could spread. Their loved ones may be vulnerable. So I'm the only port of contact between their loved one who's outside the ward and them inside the ward. And then, you know, just that communication. Um, yeah. I would use my phone a lot mm. and make WhatsApp video calls to family members. Again, it's something that we shouldn't have done that much, we were told, but I... You think, you know what, the loved one needs to see their loved one inside. And if it's a means of, you know, mobile phones that we can do, we will pull them out and we'll use that and then we'll sanitize that as well. And I used yeah. to do that a lot. So that's gone now. COVID cases are rising again in hospital. Oh, wow. okay. They are. Um, we are looking at COVID pneumonia deaths again. But the restrictions are slightly less now. So family members are able to come in and... Mm seeing your own loved one at that time, because in Islam, we have no hierarchy. Seeing your own loved one is the thing that will give you the most comfort. Yeah, yeah. 
in terms of chaplaincy, like I know it seems like a, it sounds like a very, um, very grave and very serious role to have uh, as a career, and you're doing this day in day out. How do you think that's evolved you as a person? Like, you know, have you noticed any changes in you or your value system? I, I think. Um... You do have to learn how to not take yourself too seriously. You do have to learn to find little manners of distressing, you know, how to step back and say, yeah, time for me to let go. Within our own team, we are very, very lucky. We do have full-time chaplains and I'm able to use a couple of them as a soundboard and say, you know what, I had a terrible day because it's very difficult. You can't offload to your friends or your family and everybody, hey, data protection and B, I mean, what am I going to say every single day when someone says, hey, how was your day? Oh, so-and-so died. Oh, a baby died. Mm -hmm. Oh, this person died. It will be like, you know, who is this person? Um, so it's nice to be able to offload to my own work colleagues to say, baby died today. It was a bit hard. I didn't know, you know, um, the parents' emotions. I've taken it all on board. And yeah. it's nice for them to just talk it through with you so you've processed things and analyzed things before you leave. And I think yeah. that's one of the most important things. Um, and after that, at that point, you you have to learn to let go and say, right, I've done this. I've let go. I'm walking away and I'm here. Yeah. So I mean, putting things you, in I boxes. Certainly, I certainly appreciate my career more than anything even so more now, because obviously it comes uh, with your, what you're doing. It comes with a lot of heaviness. You know, there's a lot of mental health involved here because you have to kind of draw that line. Um, and that, that's something I would really struggle with. How how did you cope with that? How did you kind of get to a point where you were able to detach or draw that line? Is there some sort it's, of training? I think with most chaplains, it's just something that's in you. And, um, and I think that's why you're drawn towards it. It's the same with COVID, um, the deaths. You sit back and you think now, how did I do three bodies, one after the other, and deal with the family? I think it's just something that's within you and Allah's put it there. And remember, yeah. Allah only gives a soul as much as they can bear. And, you know, he's yeah. built people that can take this. Yeah. Um, I, I It sounds very heavy, but mm -hmm. the other, the flip side is, it is so amazingly rewarding. So when somebody says, um, uh, yes, just yesterday, um, there was a mother whose three-week-year-old baby died um, and she's only 17. Oh. It may sound very, very heavy to someone, and yes, it is. But then to be able to comfort her, to be able to have her in the mortuary, to be able to enable her to hold her baby and say goodbye and see them, these are all blessings that I'm able to do. And if I wasn't yeah. there, I'm not saying they may not take place, but they'd be very much more difficult, a lot more red tape to cut through, many other things to do. So for me, it's a blessing that Allah has put me in a position that I'm able to help people. Yeah. Or yeah. Two days ago, we had somebody who passed away and the paperwork, it was an evening and the paperwork would take time. The family wanted the body released. I was able to facilitate that and have that released, have the burial the very next morning, have the green form, um, build communication with registry offices and the hospital and the porters. So for me, yeah. it's the other side. It's the side of, wow, I'm able to do this. Wow, I was able to help this family. Allah put me in a position where if you go and visit a sick person, you have this many angels with you. Alhamdulillah, I'm able to do that and get paid for that. It's a respectable yeah, job. So it's almost like, wow, I'm Absolutely. in an amazing position. And yeah.
Alhamdulillah, honestly, it sounds amazing. When you put it like that, you know, it brings a smile to my face because I think if ever I'm in that position, whether I'm the person that's poorly or whether I'm a family member, I don't think I would want anyone else than to have someone like yourself being able to be, you know, there to support me and to be my soundboard when I'm at my most vulnerable, at my weakest and my most saddest, you know. Mm. Um, and so, I, you know, it, it's all... Um, it all sounds really, you know, very like, you know, like, okay, you did it, you decided you wanted to do it. But you're a woman and you're a Muslim and you're a female Muslim chaplain in a very, very busy hospital. And I think that is uh, definitely something to be commended on because, you know, given our community and how hard it is for female Muslims to actually excel in a, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a role which is very religiously uh, mm -hmm. inclined. Male heavy. Yeah, very male heavy. I didn't want to yeah. say that, but I'm glad you said <laughs> no, it very is. Very male heavy because we, our religion is very male heavy, unfortunately. Our community is very male heavy. Um, and I often find that even the most educated of sheikhs and scholars and imams, they still have that little bit of narrow-minded in the in narrow-mindedness in them, which comes from the cultural element of their upbringing rather than the religious learning that they've mm -hmm. had. Um, what what has been your obstacle, your main and biggest obstacle in securing this role? So to be really, really honest, I, I was quite fortunate. I mean, when I applied for this job, I actually thought I wouldn't get it. There were 90 people that applied and it was there were two vacancies. And I was like, wow. OK, not happening. Alhamdulillah, <laughs> I did get it. <laughs> yeah. Even though I was like, OK, this isn't happening. And then um, it was myself and a male colleague and um, he went to a different hospital. I came here and we did think, mm -hmm. you know what, at one point we will have crossover because potentially within our community, males will not want to see me. They may say something else. And we had all of this already in our head. Yeah. To be really honest, I have not had that even one day where someone had said that, no, we don't want to see you. We want to see a male. And it's even young men where they may have a masla, um, where they may want to ask, you know, I need to do kusal and I can't do it. What do I do? And I think that's a blessing that I'm able to put them to at comfort, put them at ease and make them feel comfortable enough to be able to ask me these muslas. But again, yeah. that's where my Islamic education comes in handy. So when I started, I used to actually have a lanyard that said Alima Chaplin. And it was like I was advertising that this is who I am, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And then I learned I don't need to do that. I took that off, put everything away and said my work will speak for itself. Yeah. Alhamdulillah, within the community, I do have Muslim leaders phoning me saying, you know, we've got so-and-so who passed away. Can you help? And yeah. the work does speak for itself. I do have the connections now. I am able to, as Muslims, you know, they always choke, have the body released. They're like, okay, there she is. And sometimes, you know, if I'm walking here, I see you, the doctor will say to me, oh, okay, you know, who's died? And I'm like, what are you asking me for? You're the doctor. You're the <laughs> consultant. <laughs> Nothing to do with me. And okay. it's almost like they know someone's died. She's going to turn up. We're going to have to do the medical cause of death ASAP because she's going to ask for it now. Yeah. And it's nice having that relationship and be able to do that. So um, I wow, expected hindrances. I'll be very honest. Mm -hmm. I expected maybe I'm going to struggle speaking to the mosque leaders. And when I initially did phone them all and say, you know, I'm in this role. Here I am. I expected a little blockage. Alhamdulillah, I didn't get it. Okay, good. That's amazing. And you know what? That's such, um, it makes, it calls my ears to hear that because um, obviously, you know, we see so much hindrance in um, in growth 
as you said, because we mm. are a male-dominated community and yeah. a very male-dominated religion. So for you to say that, it kind of, you know, puts my heart at risk and really make it really makes me smile because it just goes to show there's so many more opportunities out there for mm. sisters like yourself and uh Alimas to kind of come into their own and pursue what they really want to especially if it's in line of their practice and exactly. their religion yeah, yeah. and, and um, there, there's no hindrances at all I mean I actually joke because one of my um Christian colleagues a priest he always says oh do you want to lead Friday prayers you know do you feel left out the men are doing that and I'm like no it's so easy for me. The men do it all and I just turn up, pray and leave. They have to sit down yeah. for two hours thinking of a khutbah. Yes, yes. We, I have it the easy way. I literally just walk in, pray and leave. So sometimes yeah. we look for, you know, the, oh, are we at disadvantage when there is no disadvantage? There's a benefit there. And even if I'm running late, I can pray dhuhr and done. Yeah. With yeah. the men, no matter what they're doing, they have to stop everything and get that ready. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're so on point there because that's true, isn't it? Men, mm. bless them, they've got so many other protocols that they have to follow as yeah. Muslims. Uh, whereas the females, I do feel like Islam is a little bit easier on us and we do have it that tad bit easier. Yet we're constantly fighting, you know, for mm-hmm. more and uh, we really don't need to. But, but you know, it's no. very closely linked to feminism as well. I feel like we're constantly fighting for this freedom and this right that we don't really need there for us we just need it's to there it. that's what i'm yeah. saying that there's a there's a difference between islam and culture and culture may hold us back but islam doesn't and if we stick yeah. to islam we, we've got the better hand the better deal yeah yeah so tell me uh, i mean tell me something that was that would be quite entertaining quite funny something that you didn't experience i mean didn't anticipate but you were in a situation and you were like oh wow you know i wasn't expecting that has there ever been a point i know it's a very serious situation and it's a very serious oh no no it happens quite often and um i don't know maybe because i do see people of non-muslim faith as well if they end of life they're on palliative care and it's nice that the consultants will call me up and say okay we know you made a difference can you please go Mm -hmm. and see so and so and um there was once a christian church of england and um she was dying and she really needed to plan her funeral and i was like are you sure you want to talk to me Mm -hmm. So obviously you've been in for some very like serious and great situations and you know I'd be really keen to know about any kind of experiences that you've had or any moments that are stuck with you that have been you know oddly to say very strange to say but a fond memory. Has that ever so I'll tell you one that's a really really nice fond memory and it's bittersweet. We, it was Ramadan and um, it was a Muslim patient and she came into hospital and she deteriorated suddenly and she was going to die within the next few hours or days. No one can predict when. And her daughter was due to be married in two, three weeks just after Ramadan. And they were really sad that they have everything ready, the outfits ready and everything, but mum won't be there. So I had to negotiate. And this was during COVID. So only two people allowed on the ward. So we were nego- I went in and it was like, okay, what do you need? Then they said, if we could get married here in the ward in front of my mum, it would give us the most happiness. And my mum would go thinking my daughter's married. It's the last one. So I had to call one of the, my colleagues, um, the other chaplain, and say, can you please come down and do the nikah 
And he was like, are you sure? I explained to him, yes, it's on wow. the ward. We need it done. And we're going to do it today. And then I had to go speak to the head nurse. And I said, how many people are we allowed in? And she was like, okay, five. So I was like, okay, 20. She went, okay, seven. I was like, okay, 18. And we started off negotiations like this. And we ended up on 12. We met somewhere on 12. So we kept, she kept bringing up two and I kept coming down to, and she was like, you do know we're only allowing in two on a ward. I was like, yeah, we can do 12 right now though. Um, There's nobody else around Um, on the other people. We're going to take two, two, two from everyone. We're going to break protocol. We're going to have 12 people in that room. The girl's going to get married. And the head nurse agreed just laughing and saying, okay, I'm looking the other way. Go ahead. So um, I had them all on the ward. I had, the imam asked them about mehad and do all the conversations and then he conducted the nikah for them there and then everyone went home and i had the nurse agree that the newlywed the husband and wife would stay with the mum the whole night um and she said okay you know this is their honeymoon like with their dying mother i was like yeah they're gonna stay here the whole night they're gonna talk to her they're gonna hold her and this will be today they agreed yeah. that and subhanallah I went back in the morning around nine o'clock and um she passed away at 10. Oh, oh, so amazing. they were able to have that wedding they were able to have their nikah they were able to spend quality time with their whole family and then she passed away in the morning and the family came back to see me two weeks later and said that's the one thing that gives us comfort that my mom was there her mom they felt like their mom was holding on just to know that my younger daughter is settled and she's with her husband and everything will be okay. Being able to stay there the whole night talking. And these are the kind of things you don't think that are taking place during COVID and, you know, within the hospital, breaking all protocol and getting 12 people in on a two people rule for half an hour and having them stay the night was, it was one of those things. It's a moment that will always stay with me. The nikah we did. Mashallah, mashallah. That's amazing. Honestly, um, I mean, the sawab and getting two people married off in itself mm. is also so amazing, isn't it? So, yeah. And what about any kind of stories you can share with us, which maybe, I don't know, associated with a non-Muslim? Uh, so the non-Muslim yeah. one that I was going to say was we had a, somebody who was dying again. Um, mm-hmm. I think most of my stories start with someone who was dying. It's really bad. Um, <laughs> but she was a Church of England Christian and her husband was a Roman Catholic and they needed yeah. to plan their funeral. They needed to come to terms with this, have the discussions and the consultant said, um, they're asking for you. So I went there and I was like, okay, you're Church of England. He's Roman Catholic. You do know I'm the Muslim chaplain. And she was saying, yeah, but if I call Church of England at this point, after this many years together, he'll get offended. If I call a Roman Catholic priest, a father, then my family will get offended. So the compromise is we're going to have the Muslim in. Oh, I, I like, love that. Okay, that's amazing. So it's like, what can I do? And they said, you know, this is how we want to be buried. And these are the stories. And we want people to know this. And they literally were just telling each other how much they loved each other, but via me. And it was one of those bittersweet moments that was so nice. Yeah, that they were able to do all of that. And, you know, everyone else was laughing, saying, OK, so now we know between Roman Catholics and Church of England, get the Muslim in. Yeah, <laughs> the, the running joke going on. You know what? If we should kind of, I don't know, uh, promote this a little bit more and kind of make it a thing um, yeah. so that we can kind of interject between the two. That exactly. Quite, yeah, it kind of sounds like a vision to me. It's actually um, quite funny as well, because sometimes a rabbi will call me and say, I've got... um." A Jewish patient and can you go see them and as I go in the nurses or the, you know the doctor will be like 
Yeah. Okay, you sure you're here? You know they're Jewish, right? I'm like, yeah, I know. Yeah. No, no, you sure? It's like, yes, I know. And you'll go there and they'll see me having a long chat with a Jewish patient and they're thinking, wow. And sometimes, yeah. you know, it's breaking barriers because when you're in hospital, you don't really care. You just need someone who can listen and bring yeah. a smile to your face sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what? I was just about to say that it's breaking barriers and it's such a comfort to hear you say that because we spend so much of our life fighting, arguing with each other, mm. you know, debating whose religion is correct. My, uh, you know, religion is this. My belief is this. Yeah. Uh, you know, we don't eat each other's food. We don't befriend each other. Uh, we stick to our own communities, our religions and whatnot. Um, and to hear you say that, that, you know, in their last moments, you're able to be there for them mm. and provide a humanitarian service. Yeah. It's just so fulfilling and rewarding and it is it is it's an honor and um yeah the fact that the families then see that you know what these muslims they're okay they're quite you know they say it some of them will actually say to me like you're all right you know yeah yeah, (laughs) (laughs) and i I mean nothing by it's just that this was their first experience with a muslim person in a full conversation and they're thinking okay you know these people they're okay yeah, 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 and it's nice. It's amazing, honestly, and and it's quite funny. And you know, I've, I'm listening to you and talking to you. It just kind of just want to reiterate the irony of it all. You know, hmm. the irony of all the politics and all the religious arguments and wars that we do. Yet, yeah. in the end, none of it really matters. None of it all matters. That matters is that sounding board, and it doesn't yeah. matter who that soundboard is, whether they're Christian or Muslim or you know Catholic. You know. we all believe in a god and it's uniting them i mean two three days ago actually we had um, somebody in the morning the doctor said to me that they're dying and they really want to get married and i was like okay um registry office and they wanted a civil partnership and i spoke to the registry office and said look he's dying we don't have much time what's the best you can do and they were saying telling me that okay get me this paperwork and we can come into the ward and get them married at two o'clock today it's like wow Today, um, and as fate would have it, I was actually somewhere quite far because I went to see another patient and I had a flat tire. And they wanted me to be a witness at their civil marriage. And I was thinking, right, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I phoned up AA and told them, look, I need this change. And I also need to be in hospital to be a witness to have someone married. And you wouldn't believe they found it so cute. They got to me in 10 minutes, changed my tire, had it on the intercom that she needs to get there. She needs to get there. Um, The nearest one came to me. We were just laughing because (laughs) I was there 10 minutes. My tire was changed and I was on the way. That is amazing. Honestly, that is just so touching. It was so touching. And I phoned ahead to um, AAU, you know, the intensive care unit and said, look, I'm going to be running late. I'm only going to get there for two o'clock. So they said, what Mm -hmm. do you want us to do? Like make mm-hmm. him look a bit presentable. You wouldn't believe it. They found some really nice pajamas. They had him dressed up. So he's all connected to pipes and everything, but he's wearing really nice oh. pajamas. The room's oh, decorated with paper chains and you know, everyone was it was such a joyous occasion and it was so nice that it's a non-Muslim yeah. family, you know. Uh it was a civil partnership, yet they wanted the Muslim to be the witness. And exactly. I was able to do it from a phone call and- at nine o'clock to having them married at two o'clock. That's crazy. That's absolutely yeah. crazy. And you know, once again, like I said just a minute ago, it just reinstates the the value of being a good human, the humanitarian mm. values that we neglect so much when we're prioritizing our own belief systems. 
yeah. yeah when it all comes down to it it boils down to just being a good human and having that one that faith in that one creator who yes we all you know tend to believe in most of yeah. us anyway um but yeah it's it's it's, it's just beautiful it's so heartwarming and it, it just shows that there's a community out there whether it's the aa guys or whether yeah. it's the people at the hospital or whether it's yeah. you there's a community out there and if you really want it you can you know big dua for it and yeah just the universe will all come together and make it happen, right? And make it happen. Yeah, it was like yeah. the registry office were, yep, so there's someone available. Yes, the paperwork. And I'm not even there and I'm phoning the consultant. I need this, this paperwork. Can you please scan it into my phone so I can email it over? And everyone yeah. was working together with one goal in mind that this person is dying. It's their dying wish to be married. Let's make this happen. Mm. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Alhamdulillah. Um, and, you know, it just makes us... I mean, I, I, it just makes me proud listening to it. So I can only imagine how proud you must be to be able to do this day in, day out. It's such a privilege. And, you know, I um, just uh, hope that there's people like you who can learn from you. And when they listen to this podcast, it really kind of changes the way they, you know, the way they think and perceive things and the way they go about executing themselves with people from different faiths and different backgrounds mm. and everything you know um okay so I have another question which is obviously it's not related to any stories or anything like that but I'd be really keen to know what your family thought about you becoming a chaplain so that's the thing with chaplaincy what is it we do pastoral care spiritual care we help people as a community leader as an alima that's what I do anyway so I think this just gave it a title um I was doing this kind of role anyway within the community I mean my family knows that if someone phones me and I just say to them look it's private they will not pry they will not ask questions and I will go into another room and I have phone calls from people regardless you know just saying something like I don't know we're having trouble with our daughter what do we do I'm having marriage problems what do I do and as an alima alhamdulillah they trust what I say and because I work in the community they trust what I say so I think it's actually slightly annoying because everything I achieve it's like oh we knew we were going to do that Oh, we knew you'd get it. And it's like, no, I tried really hard. So even the job, it was like, hey, I got it. Oh, we always knew you were going to get it. Alhamdulillah. You know what? I think um, it just, maybe your success is also down to the fact that you've got such a strong support system. And I know there's a lot of sisters out there that don't have such a strong support system and they struggle. Um, Have you come across sisters like that? Many times, many times. And I was very, very fortunate that my sheikh would always say to me, so... One of the things is I was married very early. I did my teaching. I got my A-levels results after I was married. Um, And I've always been studying. I was at university. I became a teacher, did IT, or lots of things over the time. And um, my sheikh always said that prioritize your family and your children first. So don't make your book something that your husband or your children hate. When they walk through the door, close your books and give them full attention. Yeah. Find your own time to go back to your books. So yeah. I would actually wake up at 4 a.m. and have that as my own time. So I'm not taking away time from anyone else. Wow, that would amazing. be my time to study, my own book time. Yeah. And it's the promise from Allah that walk towards me and I'll come running and just have that belief. But I remember them saying that we like you because you're a better person when you study. You're a better person when you do that. <laughs> Honestly, and maybe because you're always aware of your teachers in your head saying, you know, make sure you do this or don't do that or don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it's one of those things that this is the first time in my life I was saying I'm actually not studying and I miss it. I, I'm looking at something because I want to do yeah. something. I miss having books open. Yeah. 
But oh, yeah. yeah, I, I do come across lots of women who say, you know, my husband doesn't support me or my children don't. And it's mm. just making them aware that by you being a student, it will show a better side of you. Not the mm. frustrated side of, oh, I just got into my book and you had to come home. That's mm. just going to create, you know, amnesty towards what you're doing. Yeah, 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 I agree with you. So what kind of advice would you give to a young woman who wants to go down that route or follow, pursue that career in chaplaincy or just, you know, go down the route of being a lead in a, uh, in a Muslim role in, in, mm-hmm. within the community? But in a female capacity, obviously, what kind of advice would you give them? Your top three tips, let's say. Sincerity. In the Malak Alubiniya, have your niya right. Have your intention right. Everything you do, have your intention right. Never go into something thinking, I want to be a leader. Allah will give that to you full stop if your intention's there. Without even thinking about it, someone will see something in you and say, do you want to do this? Um, And a need, a desire internally to serve. You know, there's so many hadith, the gist of it is that the leader of a group is a servant of the group. Always try to be the servant. Make sure everyone's okay. Look for people's needs. Try to keep everyone comfortable and work towards them. Again, Allah will lift you up and put you at the top. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And honestly, that's it. Just that desire to help, that desire, because we know that if that's your intention, then Allah will put you up. He'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's your niyat, isn't it? If your intention is It's just that, yeah. If you go in saying, I want to be a leader... Then without realizing you're you're going to alienate a lot of people or your intention's not right and then it won't work. So if you always just go in saying, I just want to help, I just want to make a difference, I just want to make a change, inshallah everything just falls into place. Yeah, alhamdulillah, you're absolutely right. Okay, well, you know what, Rukia, I've taken a lot of your time this evening. Uh, and it's been insightful to say the least and I hope you can come back to our podcast in the future as well because I'm sure uh, there's going to be lots of other branches to this that I'd like to explore with you and talk about um, but yeah that it's been it's been lovely having you on the podcast and thank you so much for taking that time out and I just want to um, show our appreciation to you not just as uh, what you do within the hospital but you're also one of our uh, very very active volunteers within supporting humanity and I feel like you um, you're definitely leading by example and you're such an uh, inspiration to so many of us so uh, thank you for being so amazing and uh, uh, thank you for joining the podcast. And, no, no, no. Uh, Honestly, I <laughs> see it's one of those things when you said to me, come on, I was thinking, I have no idea what we're going to talk about, but it's just your life and what you're doing. So for me, it was an honor to be asked. Thank you. No, you're yeah. very welcome. And uh, we will touch base again soon. Brooke, I'll be back on a future podcast as well. So if you guys have any questions or any related topic that you think you'd like Brooke to talk about, then we will get her back on. Um, this is me signing off. Thank you for listening. Uh, keep supporting humanity in your prayers and keep supporting us at Supporting Humanity. Um, Brooke, do you want to say any last few words? That's it. Keep supporting us at Supporting Humanity. That covers Thank it all. You. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh Allah Fis. Allah Fis. Uh,